I know that my Redeemer lives. And it's wonderful to be with church family, to be reminded of that, to be with our church family that's worshiping online with us, and uh, to realize that uh, we share that common bond. We mentioned that in our class this morning and talked about that commonality that we share and that commonness of faith and that commonness of mission. And it's a great, great blessing uh, to have that relationship in Jesus Christ because we know that our Redeemer lives. And Danny is exactly right. It is all about Jesus. It is not about all about any of us. It is all about Jesus because it only can be about him. He is the only one that could make that sacrifice. It's a great blessing to be a part of with our church family because of so many that uh, are going through so much. Great to hear the good news about David and Jenny's little grandson, Isaac. Um, wonderful to be able to pray for those who have lost loved ones. As difficult and um, sorrowful as that is in their loss, still that brings great comfort and joy to know that people they love are praying for them and are encouraging them and are helping them. What a great, great blessing. What a great blessing to be able to see the pictures of Danny eating shrimp. <laughs> what a wonderful message as we gathered around the table and what a wonderful reminder of, of how big uh, God's mission is. And to be able to uh, share in that partnership and ministry with those who made that trip and made the sacrifices to go and to be with such wonderful children, such wonderful adults, such wonderful community to be able to share God's love and God's word with them. What a great, great blessing. It's great to be able to look ahead to October. If you're not here with us in person, we hope that you will be in October for this incredible seminar that we'll have, um, sponsored by Apologetics Press, and it is going to share those things that our Shepherd Jay mentioned earlier, very timely uh, questions and, uh, and responses that we can have to know and to bolster not only our faith, but the faith of our children and grandchildren and the faith of our neighbors and coworkers and family members. Uh, great opportunity in Christian evidences to be able to uh, know how to respond about uh, questions like, what about the problem of, of the dinosaurs? I love uh, the way that's mentioned in his outline. It's a question, actually. And, um, and I know that Kyle is going to share that actually when you uh, look at God's word and you look at history and you even look at archaeology, you realize that there's not a problem there at all. And so it's a, it'll be a great, great uh, opportunity to increase our knowledge and increase our witness. It's great to be with church family for Joyce and me and for several others of you, by the way. It's great to be with family, blood family. We have our, our children and grandchildren here. You may have heard about that, noticed that. I might have mentioned it a time or two. Um, our daughters and their husbands, Amy and Brian and Amanda and Paul are here and we're so thankful for them and so very, very proud of them. And our four incredibly wonderful, gifted, handsome, lovely, talented, intelligent grandchildren uh, are here uh, as well. And so we are, Joyce and I are in hog heaven and it's, and it's going to be that way. So Sorry, <laughs> not sorry at all. 
You know, Jesus cared about people. He cared about people. We think of what Danny shared from Colossians 1, and the creator of the universe, the son of God, the supreme, preeminent one, cares about people. It's amazing to think about. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. And that is the truth. No matter what else is going on, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. It is all about Jesus. Because Jesus cared about people. And he calls on us to do the same. We saw that Jesus cared about people last week as we discussed that incredible story of his relationship with three people in in particular, one family, two sisters and their brother, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, who only pop up in a couple of places, and yet the impact is so great, and we can see just how much Jesus cared for them. That shortest verse in all the Bible is in that chapter in John 11, as Jesus interacts with them, Jesus wept. It's because he cared so deeply. This morning, we'll look at some other examples of how our Lord cared for those who were distraught and hurting, including the other two instances of Jesus raising someone from the dead. As best I can tell, there are only three instances in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John where Jesus actually raises someone from the dead. And we looked at one last week with Lazarus, and today we'll look at a couple of others. All of this series talking about Jesus and his relationships, whether with his friends, with his family. Coming up, we'll be talking about Jesus' relationship with the Jewish leaders, with the governor, the Roman governor that convicted him and sentenced him to death by crucifixion. Jesus' relationship with us. Today, it's Jesus and the distraught. And I think when we're distraught, when we're suffering, when things aren't going the way we think that they should do, be going, we ask ourselves that question, don't we? Does Jesus really care? Does he care? The traditional argument, of course, is, well, either he doesn't care because he could do something and he's not doing something, or uh, he's not as all-powerful as we thought, because even though he cares, he's helpless to be able to do something. And of course, I reject both of those views, but I think sometimes it's difficult for us Uh, to see the presence of Christ. It's difficult for us to really believe that Jesus does care. When he doesn't save us from the difficulties of this world, when he doesn't spare us from the tragedies or deliver us the way we want him to and have faithfully prayed for him to. The truth is Jesus is God and we are not. And so there's a lot about being the son of God that we don't quite understand, but we believe because we know that our redeemer lives. And so this morning, let's look at a few instances about Jesus and how he interacted with the distraught. And as we go through this, I hope that you'll notice the difference in life situation in all of these examples. First of all, two distraught parents will be in Luke chapter 7 and 8 today. So you may want to click on or turn to Luke chapter 8. We're going to look first of all at two distraught parents. 
In Luke 8, beginning at verse 40, and I can't say too much about distraught parents today because my children are here. So I can tell you that every parent has felt distraught at times, but not every parent has felt what these parents feel. Luke 8, beginning in verse 40. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And so in the midst of Jesus' ministry and with all the crowds around him, Jesus interacts with this father. And this father pleads with him, please come to our house and heal our daughter because she's only 12 and she's our only daughter and she's dying. And so Jesus agrees and goes. And we know that in between here, Jesus heals this woman that he doesn't even talk to until after the healing, this woman who touched the hem of his garment. We've talked about her story already in this series. So let's skip down to verse 49. Verse 49 of Luke 8, while Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. And I feel like if Jesus had not interjected at this point, that's exactly what would have happened. The father would have gone home and mourned the loss of his daughter. And yet... Verse 50 says, hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John and James and the child's mother and father. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. And he's the only one that knew that. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead, but he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. With Lazarus at the tomb, he had said, Lazarus, come out. My child, get up. Verse 55, her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. She had to. The Son of God told her to and made it possible. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. Two distraught parents, Jesus hears of their plight, hears of their daughter, and acts. Why? Because he cares. Because he cares about the distraught. He cared about these two parents and their daughter. Secondly, Jesus interacts with a distraught Roman officer. Could be that this is the one surprise of of all of these. It seems like we might be quicker to believe that Jesus raised a girl from the dead rather than Jesus actually interacts and helps a pagan Roman officer. But that is exactly what happens here. Why? Because the pains and sorrows that cause us to be distraught know no bounds. That is a human condition. And so even though his life of ministry was specifically focused on the Jews and the Jewish people and making that sacrifice that we celebrated and appreciated a few moments ago around the table, still he was aware 
of those around him who were not Jews. And still he cared about them. Even a distraught Roman officer. In Luke 7, beginning at verse 1, when Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum in that northern province of Galilee where he kind of had his home base. There, a centurion servant whom his master valued highly was sick and about to die. This, this servant, this man, this centurion is a Roman officer. Verse 3, the centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. And the truth of the matter is, this man didn't deserve for Jesus to go and help him. He did not. Of course, none of us does deserve the help that Jesus gives us. But certainly this Roman officer didn't, even though he had done a lot of good things for the Jews. Some have suggested perhaps he was one of those God-fearers, someone who worshiped the God of the Jews, but wasn't a Jew himself. But in verse 6, Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. Do you see the difference between the Jewish leaders that went to Jesus about him and the man himself? He got it. He understood. He didn't deserve Jesus' help. He certainly didn't deserve for him to come in his house. Knowing that Jews were not to associate with non-Jews in particular Roman officers. I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. Verse seven, that is why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go and he goes. I and that one, come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does it. This was a military man. He knew how to give and take orders. And he understood that the one who is superior gives the order and the one who is lesser obeys the order. That's how his world works. And as he heard about and considered Jesus and what he had done and everything that he had said, he said, I know, I know you are superior. You can give the order from wherever you are and it will happen. Verse nine, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him and turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Jesus says one of those things that got him in trouble all the time with the Jewish leaders. (laughs) Here is this pagan Roman officer, military man of the oppressing nation that is here in our place. And yet he has greater faith than any other I have seen in Israel. Any of the others among God's people. Jesus cared about a distraught Roman officer. Third today, Jesus cared about a distraught widow. In this very same chapter, The next passage in Luke 7, verse 11. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain 
And his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a large crowd from the town was with her. Now Jesus gets to make a decision. Do I get involved or not? Do I help and heal or not? And just like with the Roman officer, Jesus could have done that from right where he was standing. Once he saw what was going on, he could have given the word and that boy would have been raised. But he didn't do it that way. Why? Because he cared. He cared about raising this boy from the dead and giving him back to his widowed mother. But he also cared about the message that he had the opportunity to send. Not just about his great and incredible power, but, but about his great and incredible compassion. Verse 13, when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. Usually, that's the wrong thing to say to somebody. (laughs) When you're suffering and you're struggling and you're distraught, the last thing you want to hear is some well-intentioned person come up to you and say, don't cry. (laughs) Typically, what we need to do is give them permission to cry, unlike Job's three friends. Throw our arms around them and cry with them. But in this case, of course, it was the exact right thing to say. Why? Because Jesus knew what was about to happen. We don't know that. But Jesus did. And Jesus does. Verse 14, then he went up and touched the bier that they were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. You see, what Jesus did just then is make himself ceremonially unclean. I think one of the reasons why they stopped is because they felt like something was great was about to happen here. But another reason they stopped is probably because they couldn't believe that Jesus did this. Purposefully made himself ceremonially unclean to join in with this woman's suffering. That's what he does. In the words of the writer of the book of Hebrews, he went outside the camp to the lepers, to the unclean, where they had to go outside the camp in Old Testament days. And that's where Jesus went. And so the writer of Hebrews says, let's join him outside the camp. Jesus went up and touched the uh, beer they were carrying him on and the bearers stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Now this doesn't say how old the boy was, but I can tell you with judging by my grandsons, he was about their age because the first thing he did when he got up was he started talking. (laughs) And we love that about our two, our three. And we love that about our little princess granddaughter as well. As soon as Jesus said, get up, the dead man sat up and began to talk and Jesus gave him back to his mother, which was why he did this from the start. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us. They said, God has come to help his people. 
This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. And I think in those last couple of verses is one of the greatest descriptions of Jesus. We find another one in Acts 10 as Peter was discussing with Cornelius, talking to him about Jesus who went around doing good. What a great description. This one is also great, especially great. God has come to help his people. That's what they said when they saw what Jesus did. God has come to help his people. Not just Jesus is God and not even just God has come, but God has come to help. Why? Because Jesus cared. He cared about two distraught parents. He cared about a distraught Roman officer. He cared about a distraught widow. And finally today, he cared about a distraught woman. We skip down a little bit in Luke chapter 7, down to verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. And that's about all we know about this woman. This woman isn't Mary the sister of Martha and Lazarus, that will anoint Jesus towards the end of his life. All we know about this woman is that she lived a sinful life. A woman in that town, verse 37, who lived a sinful life, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Verse 39, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And Jesus knew all of those things. Verse 40, Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. And we want to say, ruh <laughs> this is not going to be pretty. Tell me, teacher, he said. Verse 41, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my hair with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So two incredible things, actually more than two, but a couple of incredible things about this whole scenario. Number one, Jesus has the miraculous power to know this woman and to know all about her life and to know Simon's secret thoughts. 
But secondly, this man has the power and the authority to forgive sin, something only that only God can do. And yet Jesus takes that authority on himself and raises a stir about it, much more of a stir than, than they saw when they saw him accepting this woman's worship and gratitude. And yet he did. And I think this passage turns around one question that Jesus asks Simon. After he tells him the little parable, he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, verse 44, do you see this woman? Do you see this woman, Simon? He had not. He had not ever seen her. All he saw was a sinful, unclean woman, not as blessed as he, living out the parable that Jesus would tell later in Luke of the tax collector and the Pharisee. Do you see this woman, Jesus asked Simon, and it's a piercing question that we must ask ourselves today. Do I see? the distraught? Do I see this person as a sufferer? Do I see them as someone who needs my help? Someone that God is calling me to help. The first step in seeing this woman and seeing that distraught person is to care. The reason Simon did not see her as the same reason that Jesus did. Jesus cared about her and Simon very simply did not. He didn't care about her at all. Jesus cared about people. He cared about two distraught parents. He cared about a distraught Roman officer. He cared about a distraught widow and he cared about a distraught woman. Jesus cared about people. Do you know, we're going to sing in a few moments, do you know, my Jesus, do you know, my friend, have you heard that he loves you and that he'll abide till the end? Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. And just as surely as he cared about them then, he cares about us now. Jesus cares for the distraught no matter who they are. Jesus cares for the distraught no matter what their situation in life is. And I hope that's one of the takeaways that we get from this message today and these passages today is that Jesus didn't just care about particular people because of who they were and what kind of place and power they had or what they were going through. He cared about everyone, whatever they were going through, whatever their lot in life is, Jesus cared about people. Jesus cared for the distraught, no matter who they were, whether they were young parents who needed, <clears throat> who needed help because of their child, <clears throat> whether they were a, a distraught Roman officer, a military man, <clears throat> not a member of Israel, as Jesus said, a distraught widow, someone that perhaps saw in that casket her only hope for the rest of her life about to be buried. He cared about a distraught woman that seemingly no one else cared 
about. They saw her as a sinner. Jesus saw her as someone created in the image of God. Someone he created in the image of God. Jesus cares for the distraught no matter who they are, no matter what their situation in life is. And so Jesus cares for me. Jesus cares for me. He cares for me if I'm living in Tyler, Texas or Arlington, Texas or Rockville, Maryland or New Orleans, Louisiana or wherever in the world I might live. Jesus cares. He's the same yesterday, today and forever as Jay said. And he cared then and he cares today and he will care tomorrow. Jesus cares for me. If you're filling out the outline and you put something in before I shared it, you might have put Jesus cares for you and that would be okay. <laughs> but for just a moment, I'd like for us to make this statement and to, and to say this out loud together. Jesus cares for me. Are you ready? Jesus cares for me. One more time, because some of you didn't think anybody would do it, and now you know. (laughs) Jesus cares for me. And wherever you are, whatever's going on in your life, wherever you're from, whatever you're going through, today, Jesus cares for you. He does. And more than anything else, we want you to know our Jesus. If we can help you do that, come as we stand, sing our song together.